This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, Amazing Pets and Fantasy Coffee. How to incorporate wish fulfillment fantasies into speculative fiction. So this is a companion episode to our universal fantasy buttery goodness episode uh, from last year. Um, And in this episode, sorry, rather, in that episode, we talked about how to entice readers to stay with your story, even if they were somewhat outside of your target audience. But for this episode, we're going to look at the broader theme of wish fulfillment and how it connects with universal fantasy tropes and essentially how to add it to your work in a way that doesn't alienate your audience. Yeah. As a quick reminder, a universal fantasy is basically a trope that can be added as flavour to your narrative to make it taste good to pretty much everyone, at least everyone who likes that flavour. Yeah. In that respect, it's an expression of wish wish fulfillment. It's not actually wish fulfillment itself. Yeah. Um, And of course, we're using the word fantasy here. Universal fantasy and then obviously fantasy. We're not talking, when we say universal fantasy, we're not talking about the genre of fantasy. We're talking about the fantasies in something that you want. Yeah. I mean, you could as easily say daydreams, really, but that's a bit misnomer as well. Yeah. So with that in mind, uh, let's take a look at what wish fulfillment actually is. So um, at this point you might be saying, okay, but what's so wrong with wish fulfillment? Um, And honestly, wish fulfillment gets a bad rep. There are plenty of people who read a book, detect what they identify as wish fulfillment, and then sneer at it. it's as if there's this unspoken agreement that all literature and film must be tense and bittersweet or even downright bleak, or it can't actually be taken seriously. And that is transparent nonsense, frankly. Yeah, I mean, as both Madeline and I have posited before, different people need a different stories, and often even those who generally like a specific type of story will need different types of stories during their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes even during the same month or week or whatever, <laughs> depending on what's going on. I mean, if you're going through a divorce, you're probably not going to be in the mood for Anna Karenina. <laughs> um, and there was definitely a reason why so many World War I soldiers lugged copies of Jane Austen's works around with them. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> um, I mean, that aside, yes, wish fulfillment can be done in a way that is trite or off-putting. Um, so ultimately a balance does need to be struck. We're not saying one way or the other. Yeah, wish fulfillment in speculative fiction terms is giving the reader just a bit more of what they want than they're likely to get in real life. It's that simple. It's taking a situation that we all know would not go down the same way in reality, probably, and giving it the most ideal outcome. Yeah. Um, Now, wish fulfillment is a your mileage may vary quality. And it will also vary depending on genre. Romance, for example, is the most unashamed delivery method of wish fulfillment. And a big part of why romance readers go through hundreds of books a year is because that's what they want. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. 
but if you are more of a science fiction fantasy reader then that level of wish fulfillment is probably going to be too much. Uh, once again, it's about balance. Yeah. Um, wish fulfillment versus candy is something to consider. So remember our episode on giving characters too much candy, which I believe was also last year? Yep. Um, basically, this is when you load a darling favourite character down with gifts and skills and you don't give them flaws and trials to balance it out. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is, it, it's not good, it doesn't make for satisfying storytelling or characterization. No. Um, but basically, when wish fulfillment is trite and annoying, it's usually because the writer has given the character way too much candy or they've saturated the entire plot in sugar. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a reason why sometimes you add a pinch of salt even into the uh, sweetest of cakes. Um, <laughs> Now, you can have low plot stories that work absolutely fine, but they need excellent characterization to work. That includes not allowing a character to get their own way all of the time and not whisking trouble out of their path the minute it appears. Because if you did, it would get very boring very fast. Yeah, basically a trite wish fulfillment plot will stifle the character because there will be nothing for the character to strive for or against and no opportunity for character growth. Um, in the end, it's all about balancing wins with difficulties. Yeah. Um, now, of course, sometimes your reader is not going to agree, or at least they'll think they don't. Um, this can opt. Sorry, this can often happen if you created a character that they really connect with, and they just want good things for that character. Um, you know, <laughs> because they're living through vicariously through that character. Uh, and this means that you may well get emails demanding a type of wish fulfillment. Um, you may even get accused of being vindictive and leading the reader along. Now, as long as you've got a plan and you're going to deliver, and depending on how long you've made your reader wait for a wish fulfillment, even the payoff needs to be proportionate, then generally you're fine. If, on the other hand, all you're doing is saying, hey, there's this great thing that could happen, but no, and you never deliver, then you're doing the opposite of wish fulfillment. Your character does need a few wins. Um, it's We've talked about writing tragedy and stuff like that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, catharsis is a complicated thing. Um, and wish fulfillment is sort of another side of that you know, can provide an element of catharsis. Um, and that catharsis is even better when there has been, you know, there's this sense of finally get they get this, this is their reward, or that by striving through these things they've been able to reach happiness, or that despite all of these things happiness is still achievable. Um, you know, these things are important and again depending on the type of story you're going to sell, you're trying to give, you're gonna vary on the levels of wish fulfillment. But yeah, there does need to be a balance in some respects. You need to have a little bit of one and a little bit of the other. Otherwise, the whole thing goes flat. And as a story, um, that is going to be very boring. Um, bear in mind that obviously some people write wish fulfillment and stuff just as a form of, you know, self-expression for catharsis, um, for even therapeutic reasons. And that's absolutely fine. We're not talking about sort of writing as, a, as an exercise. We're talking about professional storytelling. 
Yeah, and honestly, the it can be you know quite quite difficult in some respects because you do something you've you've got a basic outline you've got a plan Mm -hmm. and as let's say you're writing a series Mm -hmm. you're going to penetrate my ingenious code any minute now (laughs) (laughs) and and work out who I'm talking about Um, (laughs) I already know who you're talking about but anyway (laughs) yeah um, basically you know that there's a certain event that cannot happen as early in the series as certain readers want it to happen (laughs) Um, just because it's not going to make sense and it's one of those things whereby you know your storytelling muscles are well developed enough that you know it will not work if you you just hand it to your reader earlier in the series Um, so you have to stick to your guns with that even though for a while your readers following that particular series are frustrated and are potentially calling you vindictive and saying you're, you're stringing things out it, it's not necessarily the case it's just that you also know everything that comes after that thing that happens and that's why that thing needs to happen at that point because the characters need to develop to a certain point in order for them to come to that accord yeah absolutely but it can be very difficult and you can find yourself second guessing yourself and saying oh maybe I am stringing it out and yet, if you look at things logically, you cannot make this thing happen any earlier because it literally will not work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and when you do have cases like that, um, you know, because, okay, frankly, we're talking about, you know, a certain thing within Harker and Blackthorn. Um, <laughs> but just in general, um, it's often also kind of balanced with the fact that there are other forms of wish fulfillment and there are other forms of win throughout the story it's not just and then everything gets worse i mean even in the lies of Locke Lamora, which is the definition of and then everything gets worse, worse. <laughs> like you think oh it's going downhill like no it seriously down goes downhill it's just a boulder going faster and faster they still have wins even when everything goes terribly wrong they have these kind of moments of, of sort of pause where things go up and this happens in tragedy a lot as well, where the tragedy is all the more poignant because there are small moments of win, even if those small moments of win are delivered in terms of actually, here's a little bit of humour, or here are two people who've actually been able to confess to one another or something like that. There's that little bit of you know wish fulfilment in a story which is ultimately still going to end very sadly. Um, you know you do have to kind of balance it. So you could have this big sort of, here's the wish fulfillment, here's the cake. I know you all want the cake, it's the birthday party. You gotta wait until the end of the party. You gotta wait till the end, once all the games and stuff are done in order to have the cake. But in the meantime, have as many jelly beans as you like. (laughs) Yeah, and and honestly, sometimes your readers are gonna go, yes, but I knew there was cake. I worked out there would be cake the minute I stepped through that door. I don't care about fucking jelly beans. I want the fucking cake. Or in, like, in my case, Jill said, hey, do you want it? And I said, there's gonna be cake, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, do you want to read this one paragraph snippet? And you're like, I smell potential. <laughs> Which Madeline has got an infuriating habit of doing. It's like, what are you talking about? I saw the cake through the window. I know, Jules. <laughs> It's going to be delicious cake. (laughs) Delicious cake, and I'm here for it. Okay, so how can you actually add wish fulfillment in a way that works then? 
Well, there yeah. are several ways. So um, one is that the trick is to add elements of wish fulfillment to your um, speculative fiction in a way that enthralls readers who love that particular kind of wish fulfillment, but doesn't alienate readers who don't actually care about it. Yeah, I mean, I know that sounds really awkward. That sounds like having your cake and eating it, but that is something you can actually do. Mm. Um, basically, I mean, we'll talk about some very specific things as examples a bit later on, but there are, you know, the whole point of science fiction and fantasy in itself isn't usually just a wish fulfillment plot. It's usually doing something a bit, a bit grander in scope than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can add things that some people will go, oh, I just love that. I mean, there's um, someone who I used to do reading um, buddy reads with. Uh, one of the things she absolutely loved was when the group had to stop in a tavern. Mm. For her, that was a sort of wish fulfillment thing, turning up in a fantasy tavern and encountering other people there. It was kind of one of the crossing places of a fantasy world where you see lots of different races and species and things all, all mingling together and something something will clearly go wrong from from that 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 was her yeah she loved that and i'm like actually i'm not not massively invested in that as a type of wish fulfillment but it doesn't offend me i don't look at that and think oh god here we are in the the tavern the tavern turns up in every single thing yeah Um, but it's it was sort of like yeah this is fine whereas there'll be other things for me that are definite wish fulfillment things where I'm like, oh, this is so wonderful. I want one of my own kind of thing. And other people <laughs> will be like, yeah, this is fine. Yeah. But I'm more here for the main plot. So you can absolutely have your cake and eat it with this. It's just, again, it's it's about practice and a little bit of, you know, reading stuff and analysing it, I think, for yourself. Yeah, balance. All about that balance. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, in romance, for example, the wish fulfillment is often the point. Yeah. As we've said, there's obviously nothing wrong with that. But in science fiction and fantasy, generally the overarching plot is the point, and the wish fulfillment elements are more subtle. They basically oil the wheels of the story for the reader, so that even when things go badly wrong for your characters, there are gleams of light and warmth for the reader. This is true even in grim dark people. Yeah. I promise you. <laughs> So yeah. if you, I mean, and if you want more information on this, try our episode on feel-good moments, which again, I think we did last year, although maybe it was the year before, the years are blending together. Yeah, but I mean, like, for example, so, oh, everything could be going terribly wrong, but by God, we just had that moment where one character turned up at the other character's sort of house, bleeding in the night, and went, hey, and then collapsed. And that's wish fulfillment for me, so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, me trying to think of a couple of examples. Okay, one that always gets me, it's everything's pretty bleak and everything in Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows, and they're very much on their own, and they're at number 13 Grimmauld Place, and somehow uh, Lupin finds them, turns up and says, I've got a son, Harry, please be godfather, and it's like, it doesn't solve anything that's happening at that moment, but it's such a feel-good moment. Yeah, and yeah. It, it sort of reminds them what they're struggling for. Um, and other things like, I think I kind of put them into things like The King's Knight without realising that's what I was doing. Yeah, honestly, yes. But <laughs> it's also like everything's going wrong, but then Chaucer turns up, delivers a few quibs. <laughs> like, Thank like, you. I feel, better. I feel better about everything going wrong. I feel yeah. better about the fact we're trying to displace a king. Yeah. <laughs> 
question, but it yeah, it's the same. I, again, I'll use Liza Lockelamora just as an example. Um, uh, you know, utterly crushed, heartbroken towards the end of the book, um, and yet you know you got this this brilliant moment where everything has just gone wrong they're they've kind of hit rock bottom and then it's just the t- just two friends sort of plotting and scheming together um you know saying okay well how can we make this work um and and even then just the small moments of wish fulfillment which was Locke being in a sort of situation where <laughs> where he's sort of like yeah sure fine I'll help <laughs> with <laughs> with the aristocrats and there's these small moments of humour where it was suddenly like all these people actually working together the wish fulfilment of oh we liked all these characters but they were all on opposite sides but for now for this moment they're all joining forces in order to work together yeah, you know, a massive wish fulfillment really, really sort of oiled those wheels, as you said, um, for a plot which was otherwise really miserable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ultimately, I mean, I have to admit, I I don't love those books in the same way Madeline does, but yeah. I definitely love parts of them as much as Madeline does. Yeah, and usually it's the parts where it's gone, everything's terrible, but this happened. Yeah. Okay, you've got my interest again. <laughs> it's like, I will follow you through to the ends of the earth because I'm so invested in this friendship. <laughs> Massive wish fulfillment. Um, so yeah. Um, basically, in your speculative fiction story, you want the wish fulfillment elements to be native to the narrative. It needs to be internally consistent and to not derail the plot. If you do it well, it shouldn't even consciously register as wish fulfillment. Yeah, when we're saying, you know, read stuff that you like and then analyse it, it can actually be kind of difficult to go, well, was that wish fulfillment? Was that a feel-good moment? Was that too much candy? Mm. Um, Because if people have done it the right way, it will have passed through and just hit you on kind of a subconscious level that made you go, I love that. Yeah. I love that and I want to follow the story. Um, So going back and sort of assessing some of your your own writing and you know assessing what other people have said about your writing and what what they've loved and also books that you've loved and why did you love that bit look at it and is there a universal fantasy in there is there an element of wish fulfillment yeah um, can really help you identify and then add more of it to your own work yeah Um, And what's really incredibly also important is that actually sometimes the way that the wish fulfillment is sort of understood, it depends on actually how it's been framed, the stuff that's happening around it. It's the same, for example, where sometimes you're watching something and you see a joke which falls flat. Um, and you kind of look at it and go, actually, that joke could have been funny, but because there was this whole build up around it where I was already being put off, the joke itself didn't feel funny. Whereas you then get the opposite, where, like, again, in a comedy thing, if you've kind of built up this sense of laughter, this sense of, you know, humor, then a small joke, which wouldn't, which would just be a sort of, huh, kind of moment, becomes hysterical instead. Yeah. So the wish fulfillment in that case, when when it's sort of native to the plot, fits in because it is part of it. It's not sort of an add-on. It is, you know, another brick in this road that you are paving. Yeah, definitely. Um, And while we're talking about things being internally consistent, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, a good example is the fact that portal fantasy in and of itself is a huge wish fulfillment element because 
which of us at some point who like science fiction and fantasy mm-hmm. wouldn't like to be whisked away to another world from our own mundane lives, especially when things are difficult. Yeah. Um, but if you're not writing a portal fantasy, it's going to look pretty weird if your story takes a sudden U-turn in that direction. Yeah. So you can't just add any old wish fulfillment thing. It does need to be internally consistent with the narrative you're writing. Um, It's the same whereas uh, being chosen or being special is a huge wish fulfillment thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe anybody who doesn't at some point, who says that at some point in their lives they haven't felt some connection with that wish fulfillment fantasy and wanted something of it, even subconsciously. Yeah. Um, But I mean, you could be opening a huge can of worms for yourself if you're writing it, if you're not prepared to consider the whole special snowflake syndrome and how you're going to overcome that, or if you're writing an ensemble story and you might be overbalancing it by having a chosen one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And again, it's important to remember that when we're talking about this, we are talking about someone who's writing like a full story. Who is, is, we're not talking about sort of little bits and bobs or even, I mean, Jules and I have both written wish fulfillment sort of like side pieces for for our for our stories like little little shorts or stuff like that which we've sent yeah. each other little scenes and things like that that there's absolutely nothing wrong with that at all um it is just like saying okay well i'm gonna have a chocolate bar that's fine you, you're allowed to have a chocolate bar uh, but if you are inviting someone to a five course meal and it's all just it's all just chocolate it's bars. just all just chocolate bars at a certain point people are going to start feeling really sick even if they love chocolate yeah absolutely okay so let's look at some examples of wish fulfillment that can be easily added to most speculative fiction um, and remember, this is you know we, we've got we've got about sort of I don't know twelve examples or something like that, um, but it's by no means an exhaustive list. Um, it's just no. some of the most common ones that you might sort of come across. So the first is the obvious unconventional romance. Uh, now this can be between leads or side characters. The point is to have a romance that doesn't eclipse the story, and ideally to pair up two people or more who really work together but who would not necessarily end up together in real life and i mean we see this all the time where it's like you've got the prince and he meets you know uh, uh, it's the prince and the pauper thing but you know not people swapping but a prince who who happens to meet a, a, a you know a poor factory worker um and they have this whirlwind romance um, that's a big one that you see in sort of children's and, and YA stuff, which is obviously yeah. very inspired by fairy tales. Or you have a couple who are kind of like their their you know their relationship isn't a focus of the plot, hmm. um, and in some ways you think you'd never pair these two people up in real life, and yet they work for the purposes of this. So if you're thinking of Wash and Zoe, I was just thinking of Wash and Zoe, and they're perfect. Um, yeah. Honestly. Amy and, oh, spoiler alert, um, Steve and Harper Blackthorn, <laughs> in real life, would you put a physis- put a little blonde bubbly physicist with quite a, a saturnine, insecure historian? Would you put them together? No. It, it, and they may not have crossed paths if they hadn't both have had, you know, this cryptozoological investigation thing sort of pushing them together. Somewhere, somewhere, Jules, we've got a physicist... And a and a historian couple who are sitting there like, oh, how dare you? 
Or maybe they're going, we've been represented in fiction. <laughs> Light the beacons. Yeah. But yeah, and again, it's not necessarily about saying, well, this is not, this would never be possible or anything like that, but just actually playing around with what could happen or what isn't likely to happen in the day-to-day but which people would like to see um, even if they're not actually aware of the fact that they want to see it because I think ultimately we love the idea that love doesn't you know come with any sort of uh, you know rules or expectations that love can just happen when two people meet and they vibe I guess it doesn't nothing else really matters when the reality is that lots and lots of things do play a part in that yeah yeah definitely um okay another another one this this is one that gets me if it's mm-hmm. done correctly and that is the awesome pet oh um, yes it's like who who read his dark materials trilogy and didn't want a demon of their own because I did I like desperately desperately did, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I've just read uh, a day of fallen night and in that certain people sort of bond with um, ichneumons which are basically these big cat weasel type creatures that um, will, will speak to you and they bond with you and they're kind of like. They're, they're your loyal battle companions for life and they're so cute they're so unbelievably cute I'm like okay now I desperately want one of those too <laughs> um, so yeah I mean animal companions are fan favourites for a reason um, mm-hmm. in real life there are a limited number of animals we can responsibly have as pet so ignore yeah. the tiger king yeah <laughs> um, in science fiction and fantasy the only limit is your imagination so bond with a dragon have a cat that used to be a god an animal that is literally the hidden part of you, um, a magnificent but unusual steed that communicates with you telepathically. And those readers who aren't really animal lovers are probably not going to care or be put off because this, these animal companions are not the main part of the plot. Um, and also they're fancy characters, so they'll, you know, fancy creatures, so they'll be internally consistent. Yeah. So, yeah, it... It, it's a great wish fulfillment thing that will get the animal lovers, you know, the horse owners and the cat lovers and what have you on board. Yeah. But those people who don't aren't really that fussed about having animals of their own will be kind of like, yeah, cool, it's fantasy. That's what we'd expect to see. Yeah. Kind of thing. Not gonna lie, I love the um the introduction of certain animal friends who have appeared in uh, Harker and Blackthorn. <laughs> yeah, me too. Very very fond of that. <laughs> Okay, uh, the next, um, <laughs> and by God has this one been used a lot by uh, certain um, <clears throat> franchises, uh, leveling up. Yeah. So the unlocking of new skills and abilities is such a powerful motivator for us that it forms the basis of, well, most video games and a lot of anime. Uh, There is something endlessly satisfying about watching a protagonist struggle before acquiring a new skill. Um, And, you know, extra bonus points if your main character is already an underdog. So Sonya in The Black Magician is a perfect example of this. Yeah, there's that incredibly satisfying moment. Again, sorry, spoilers, but I mean, the books have been out for about 20 years now, which mm. is terrifying to think of. In fact, it's been longer than that. Oh God, no, please don't say that. <laughs> um, yeah, moving on from the horrible subject of time. Um, 
obviously in the first book the black magician she is no the magician's guild isn't it anyway she is the um, magician's apprentice no i don't think it is and i've lost but the, the first two books kind of blend together for me as well yeah which which is a bit annoying um but yeah she's obviously bullied a lot because she's come from a lower class and she's been poor um and she's not really apparently given a lot of support by the black magician who kind of takes her under his ring his wing as her apprentice mm. but at the same time what he's doing is allowing her as a much much stronger natural magician to get better at what she's doing yeah um, and when she actually does that and strikes back at the bullies so that she leaves all them exhausted and she walks away Mm-hmm. it's incredibly satisfying particularly as she then takes the moral high ground and gives back a little bit of energy to one of the exhausted bullies yeah absolutely um, it <laughs> um, it's also very satisfying as well because we then you know we see her learning new skills but also the fact that she's born with this incredibly you know this, this incredible amount of power um, but no real kind of way of controlling it and when we think of leveling up it's not just about getting more powerful but also kind of you know fighting smarter not necessarily stronger um and she kind of really sort of learns a lot more and that's really satisfying yeah basically if you have a character who is just suddenly handed a lot of power um cough cough clara cough cough um yeah, basic. Uh, it's not satisfying to necessarily watch this person who has a lot of power and has like two paragraphs of struggling to use it and then is fine and is the most powerful person, blah, blah, blah. That's not interesting. Um, what is interesting is you've got all this power, but there's a chance you might accidentally break the world open with it, so you need to learn control. Or even you start off with nothing and through diligent application um, of, of work, etc., you you get somewhere. Another really good example for me is, um, it is it's, again, it's Naomi Novak's uh, series about uh, about the, the Scholomans, so a deadly education. Mm. And the main character of that, um, Galadriel, or L as she prefers to be called, um, she there's a prophecy about her that she's going to be a maleficer, which is a a magic practitioner who who basically takes energy from other people's lives Mm. and she's absolutely determined not to turn into this person so she does it by kind of tithing work and energy and power and stuff in fact she does an awful lot of crocheting because constantly crocheting and doing things like crunches and press-ups and stuff builds up the energy that she can then feed into powering these crystals which she can then use to feed her spells it would be so easy for her to just draw energy off other people, but she hates this prophecy and she's so determined not to go down that path in this school that basically tries to kill you. Yeah. Um, and that's that's really satisfying as well. And she does gradually level up as you go. I mean, I'm not, I've not read the third book yet. That's coming up. Um, but yeah, as she goes through and she gets more successes and stuff, it is really, really satisfying. Yeah. You also see it in Uprooted, which is another yeah. Naomi Novak book. Um, I will mention an anime um, that does it interestingly for, is My Hero Academia, the main character, um, uh, Deku. Uh, he um, he actually very early on gets this huge power 
uh, incredible power and the first part of all of his leveling up isn't actually anything to do with this huge power it's more about how to then control this power because the first time he uses it um he he does this amazing move where he he jumps into the air and he punches this massive giant robot don't ask it's actually a really awesome scene um and you think oh wow that's really cool and then he's plummeting to the ground and both of his legs are broken and his arm is broken because he's got this amazing power but he's not physically strong enough to actually use it properly yeah and so the whole leveling up thing for him is actually learning how can i use this power without literally breaking my entire body Um, and and then kind of once he starts to master that there you know there's suddenly this okay well now that you've got that um you've kind of actually got to sort of deal with all of this other stuff because as you grow mastery of that you've opened other doors as well and you don't have mastery of that bit yet either it's like you know i've tamed this bit of the sea but (laughs) now i've got to go and get the rest of it (laughs) yeah um and that i think was really really satisfying um so it isn't always just well I've, i've just eaten the crystal and therefore i'm now a the next level up and so are all of the uh the people that i'm fighting and so you don't actually see any real difference really in what's happening because everyone's just all gone up but they're all the still the same sort of level or difference um if you do it smartly where you kind of just see bits and bobs then that is really really engaging yeah definitely leveling up can also be the well actually you know it can be in terms of confidence when someone snaps back for example and stuff yeah absolutely um okay recognition for achievement um this is kind of a a deep-seated one and not necessarily an obvious wish fulfillment fantasy Mm. but until you think about it and then it really is Mm -hmm. Uh, because how many of us in real life always get the credit we deserve probably very few of us Um, And how many of us love watching a protagonist get recognition for doing something that they deserve recognition for in fiction? So you need to be careful that this doesn't tip into the too much candy thing. Mm -hmm. But if your protagonist does something great or several somethings in a row, it's a powerful wish fulfillment fantasy to have someone or many people recognise this. I think with me, instead of having like the big parade and the hero or whatever, what I really like to do is have one person who really, really matters to the protagonist turn around and say, okay, you think nobody sees you, but that was amazing, you're an extraordinary person kind of thing. Um, and admittedly, this is something that I normally do as part of like the romantic subplot. Mm-hmm. But in some ways that, for me, works a lot better, certainly with what I've written so far, because the character most of my protagonists don't really care about universal recognition and fame and stuff yeah they do very much care about what this one special person thinks yeah absolutely um and uh, (laughs) you kind of also see it it's sometimes this sort of sub trope where what happens is that you know um it'll be like an art exhibition or, or something like that and you know, there'll just be one person who's there who just goes, this is really good, and something like that. And it'll actually be, you know, like a a guest star in terms of just being like, well, well, hang on a second, the person who just said, yeah, you drove well, was like Michael Schumacher, or, you know, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, where it's like a giant in the field. Um, 
real or not real um but you also sometimes get it in in actually a kind of a reverse way uh where you have a character who has been um you know loud boastful um and actually kind of a bit of a bastard the whole way through you know saying well i'm great you know i was in that movie that one time therefore i'm the best um i think they did that in along came polly with jack black's character where yeah. you know the whole time he was sort of doing this thing and actually he had this moment of recognition where this you know the, the very silent father turned around and just told him to stop being a diva um but in the same time said but you were damn funny on those bagpipes and it was this moment where it was actual recognition whereby the, the character didn't didn't need sort of someone to recognize the fact that he'd been in the movie but for someone to recognize actually where he was but also to not then belittle what he had done and it, it felt like genuine recognition rather than just tick boxed recognition yeah um and the other one you get is things like sing the, uh, the 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 movie Sing, for example, had a great one with this wish fulfillment, where you had the main the the, the character who was the elephant, who was really shy, and um, you know she, a few people had recognised that she could sing, but there was you know throughout there was the fact that the the mouse character kept sort of you know belittling her, mocking her, and stuff like that. Um, and then she actually sang at the end and he recognised her and she didn't hear that or anything like that but there was this sort of wish of film where you thought he's been such a nasty character the whole way through and even he at the end is like damn that's amazing and she's recognised by everybody who um, having hidden from everybody essentially she went from being literally nobody completely invisible or trying to be invisible to being someone who was recognized for a talent that she was too afraid to admit that she had in other words the biggest recognition came from herself yeah yeah definitely and that's nice <laughs> okay uh the next one is the unusual home or house oh i love this one so uh whether your reader is a secret homes under the hammer fan or not um <laughs> whether, they, whether they like looking at houses they can never buy um which i do it's a deep human need to have the best home we possibly could now uh speculative fiction gives you so much more scope for that you know you have got space stations in a utopian egalitarian Ega egalitarian oh god egalitarian no wonder we can't achieve it we can't even pronounce it egalitarian <laughs> society huge gothic mansions sentient museums that just know what room you need um etc um this is about novelty atmosphere uh, finding something that fits the themes and tones of your world and leans into it. So some really good examples of this are obviously is obviously Key House in Lock and Key and the Harker and Blackthorne Museum, which honestly, yes, I love it. Um, <laughs> that museum just gets more opinionated with every book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think it, you know, it also happens on smaller scales. You know, people feel, you know, I know that way back when. Um, you know, a lot of people felt very sort of at home at the idea of Hogwarts um, or the Burrow, you know, these kinds of locations, they felt very sort of, oh, th that's where I want to be. I feel like I could be there. Um, 
obviously some things have changed but the point is that you, you kind of have these locations where people kind of just really want to go there they want to a part of them lives there rent free as it were yeah absolutely uh, okay next one again it's not an obvious universal fantasy as in if i said oh list your wish fulfillment um fantasy criteria um, this probably wouldn't come up except that when you see it done people are kind of like i'm so on board with this this is such a feel-good one mm. um and it, it's fixing impossible problems so you know some problems are so big in real life that we feel powerless in front of them so much so that we're paralyzed and we literally cannot act um climate change for example yeah um, seeing a group of people come together to solve the same problem in science fiction and fantasy is a huge wish fulfillment fantasy. In fact, the bigger the problem and the more disparate groups of people try to solve it, the better. So, for example, um, this is two Mark Weir books, but he seems to really get this particular wish fulfillment fantasy. Um, in the Hail Mary, in, sorry, in Project Hail Mary, humanity comes together to solve climate catastrophe. And again, it's a real feel-good moment. Um, but the one that really gets me is um, In the Martian, again mm -hmm. by Mark Weir. Various different countries around the world come together to help retrieve Mark Watney from Mars. I mean, that book is basically Robinson Crusoe in space. And yet it's <laughs> so much better than Robinson Crusoe because there's this inclusive sort of like, okay, we've seen what you're doing. We want to be part of it. We've got this. We can offer this to this project. And it's it's retrieving one person, one person who got left behind who shouldn't have been left behind. And it's the whole indomitable spirit type thing, um, which makes it an amazing sort of adventure survival story. Uh, and it, you know, again, this obviously taps into one of my wish fulfillment things where, you know, despite all the odds, everyone comes together and somehow they make this impossible thing actually work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you're right that we might not think oh that's wish fulfillment but it absolutely is um and it, it it can be done in a number of different ways okay uh well i've got the next one um uh the ensemble darling <laughs> um <laughs> a great but relatively simple wish fulfillment fantasy to tap into uh is clothing um it doesn't have to be about a huge makeover or a ball scene <laughs> sorry <laughs> I'm so immature. Not that kind of ball. Honestly, <laughs> Madeline. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm like even reading Regency sort of stuff at the moment, so it really shouldn't make me laugh for <laughs> some reason. Um, although those, you know, th th those kinds of things also have their own sort of wish fulfillment. I'm talking about makeovers and, and sort of balls and stuff like that. Um, it can be as simple as cloaks that provide magical camouflage or heirloom jewellery or things like that. Um, and it, yeah, it really does depend. There's different levels of it because sometimes it's tied into how the character feels, how the character sort of um, kind of a moment, for example, where the character feels that they're actually really being expressed in a way that they want to be for the first time ever. Or yeah. being given something that they would never usually have the chance to wear or or to or to to hold or something like that, or a connection to you know something different, something new, um, or something that they didn't know about themselves. Um, 
and I love this one. I really, I really love it. Um, I just love scenes where you get, you know, it's a gift. It's like, I've got a gift and it's the perfect gift in that way. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really, a, I'm not a fashionista at all. Um, yeah. I'm also not somebody who really cares about dresses and, and all scenes and stuff and really relishes details in that respect. But there are exceptions. So I'm going to mention one and people are going to go, what? Um, the 1985 film Legend, which I like, even though it is objectively a terrible film with a really <laughs> bad script, but I like it. It has unicorns in it. Um, and a very, very young Tom Cruise in a very unconvincing portrayal of basically Jack in the Green. Um, but there's this one scene where uh, Lily, who is the young, innocent maiden in this, um, is being seduced by what is effectively the devil. And she ends up dancing with this incredibly gothic, um, very dramatic gown. And then in one turn, she's suddenly wearing it. Um, I'm not saying I'm looking at this dress thinking I would like to wear that. I wouldn't. But it's such an amazing dress, you can't help looking at it. Yeah. Um, and another one is the uh, live action retelling of Disney Cinderella. Mm -hmm. The dress in that for the ball scene. And um, particularly since I now know what went into making it. Because, uh, okay, weird paradox here but I, I actually really love sewing and I, in my time I've done quite a lot of costume design and dress design and stuff like that yeah same um so I am genuinely interested in that side of things looking into what went into it and how they dyed the fabrics in just subtle shades differently and layered everything and you see it actually in action in the film and I still think that's one of the most amazing dresses I've ever seen in a film yeah um I, I think it's also it, again it's a perfect example of it's not just about well we're going to put you in something that you know doesn't really mean anything because one of the one of the sort of the nice transformation elements of of that whole kind of scene where she gets this dress is that she started off with her mother's dress yeah you know um or she started off making a dress of her own and she was very content with that and it got completely ruined and spoiled and then the the whole idea is that you've had something that was meaningful or beautiful for you which you put effort and time into you know and and had a sort of hopes and it was taken away from you and now you get that and you get it even better yeah you know yeah absolutely very satisfying okay um getting down with your bad self <laughs> <laughs> so th there is a reason why parties, festivals, Mardi Gras, etc. make so many appearances in science fiction and fantasy. Um, even an introvert who would prefer to stay home enjoys going to those on-page parties, yeah. mostly because you're not required to do anything. Yep. Um, you have the excuse for your main character to dress up, which is always good fun, mm -hmm. uh, because they get to be a slightly different version of themselves. You also get to deliver a bit of world building, so decor, rituals, dances, customs, that sort of thing. Yeah. puppet shows if you're that way inclined <laughs> um, and when you want to tap into the plot what better place for things to go badly wrong it is a win-win yeah. so just let your main character have a little bit of fun before everything goes pear-shaped yep uh, okay so uh, food porn <laughs> now you really don't have to go C.S. Lewis style three page descriptions of a feast 
but including meals and descriptions of food is popular for a reason. Um, in fact, if you've got children's fiction, um, it, like, and I know this sort of from the industry perspective, they will be like, where's the food scene? Um, because <laughs> <laughs> even if it's not good food, I should say, you know, sometimes it's, a, it's not actually about eating good food, but there needs to be some kind of food scene. It's a human need and the chance to try amazing or different or even sometimes disgusting food is a common wish fulfillment motif. Um, so like, for example, um, and when, again, remember when we say wish fulfillment, that doesn't necessarily mean people are thinking, well, I want to actually be doing that right now at this moment. But um, a good example, I remember reading with a, a children's book, which um, the name has just escaped me, is that they're in the jungle, they're trying to survive, and they, they're just trying to eat various bits and bobs. And a couple of times you're like, oh God, I can't believe they're about to eat that. But at the same time, you're like, yes, eat the cooked tarantula, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, where where it's kind of this this sort of fascination of well what are they going to do next how are they going to make it work and it is a form of wish fulfillment of you know um, but not in the way of in terms of well I wish I was in the jungle right now trying to eat a you know cooked tarantula um, but yeah it, it, you get it with sort of these feasts or, or different types of food even food that you're relatively familiar with you can make it just seem extra magical, extra wonderful, um, and it, it adds a whole other dimension, not least because when you describe food, people tend to start smelling it in their own heads. Yeah, definitely. Okay, sick tools or slick weapons. Um, <laughs> there is a reason magic swords, bows that fire starlight, cloaks invisibility, and books that talk to you are popular. Um, to be honest, even a sarcastic um, artificial intelligence in a spaceship has its place as well. So basically if the main character has done something to earn or acquire a seemingly ordinary item it's even more satisfying when it turns out to be special. Aside from which owning a special unique item that is truly for you is a big time wish fulfillment fantasy. So for example the wands in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the wand chooses the wizard. I mean it's such a throwaway little piece of lore and yet the, you know, the, there is a reason horrendous amounts of money are charged for replica Harry Potter ones. That, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, and that people, you know, have spent a lot of time saying, okay, well, what kind of wand would I, you know, there's lots of questionnaires and stuff like that. Um, and again, regardless of your feelings for Harry Potter at the moment and stuff like that, um, you've got we, you've got to admit the the basis of of why that is so successful. Um, in terms of the sort of the wish fulfillment because there's lots of wish fulfillment in it um, and yeah there is just something very very nice about saying okay well what kind of wand would I have what would be the core um, and the idea that everybody could have something unique um, even if you're not experiencing it yourself but experiencing it through your character it feels wonderful um, and it can go two ways of either, well, it's going to be something that's inherited, something which is personal because it has kind of been handed down through family, or because a person's been chosen, or because a, um, or, or because, you know, it, it's actually nothing to do with family or anything like that. It's just 
as it is, each individual thing born for one person, etc. kind of thing. Yeah, um, I mean, um, another example that really gets me is the Deptford Mice trilogy by Robin Jarvis. Yeah. <laughs> Author of so much childhood happiness and also so much childhood trauma for me. Um, it, the, when the mice reach uh, basically when they're of age they go through the ceremony of the seasons and mm-hmm. they receive a mouse brass a mouse brass is just you know a small little medallion that they will wear all their lives to show that they are of age um, but each one that they get will tell them something about what sort of mouse they are and what sort of future they will have yeah which is such a small thing they don't really have any intrinsic power of their own um, but it's just it, and it does become a, a, an interesting pop, plot point and yet just this thing this thing saying well this is this is what you are you are you are a questing mouse looking for knowledge or you are you've got the respectable mouse brass of a mouse that sets up a good hearth and home kind of thing yeah or even a really scary you've got the cat repelling charm so there's clearly something odd going on in your future <laughs> Um, e- even something like that is really compulsive. Yeah, um, and it doesn't always need to be something useful in terms of sort of being, oh, well, it can repel magic or, or or it gives you your future. Uh, it can be, you know, emotionally cool, you know, yeah. or emotionally touching, um, which can be just effect just as effective, uh, because even though we are talking about speculative fiction for the most part, you know, a lot of these do apply regardless of the genre that you're writing, and of course, not everything needs to be massively speculative even if you are writing speculative fiction someone who has inherited um uh, for example uh in ella enchanted um ella inherits her mother's necklace yeah and the necklace doesn't have any kind of magic powers or anything like that she inherits some other cool things oh she gets some other cool things but the necklace still feels um like it is something because it's a connection to her mother but also it's sort of like a kind of an acknowledgement of adulthood if that makes sense yeah okay uh the next is strange weird and cool jobs so while starting as a waitress or a bartender or a secretary might be more true to life most people read uh, speculative fiction for escapism Uh, They might already have enough of their office jobs, so having a main character who does something very cool, either for a living or as an extracurricular activity, definitely taps into wish fulfillment. Though, this has sometimes actually been sort of turned around, where um, you will have, like, (laughs) the wish fulfillment, for example, to sort of work in a little bookshop or a little cafe, despite the fact that most people don't want to work in service or stuff like that because it is so awful and the wish fulfillment comes with the fact that they, they're having a good time <laughs> yeah definitely um but yeah i mean it's the whole sort of the matrix where neo starts off as a hacker for yeah. example or um i'm sorry i keep using harper and blackthorn but you, no, no, you've please got do. a you've got a history professor and a biologist and a physicist yeah and they basically become monster hunters. Yeah, absolutely. While still keeping their day job. And I have to say, yeah. as a lecturer, um, first of all, when they're up there talking about sort of their lecturing side of things, I'm like, I feel you, I feel you. But <laughs> you do get to go away on the weekends and, you know, look for, look for cryptids and almost die, maybe, true. But, you know, I, I, I kind of feel you. Steve, 
Amy, I really do. Um, <laughs> but it's also like you see it all the time with, you know, um, kind of magical schools, for example. So Worst Witch and stuff like that in children's fiction, where it's like, okay, it's wish fulfillment because, yeah, they're still at school, but it's magic school. So even in the case where the main characters are doing mundane things that we are doing, um, it's wish fulfillment because they get to do something that ultimately we still want to be doing. Um, you know, they're saying, oh, I've got potions, homework or stuff like that, you know, in, in, in The Worst Witch. And, and I mean, there are so many, so many uh, based in school, obviously Harry Potter as well. And you're thinking, why are you bored? You're doing literal magic. <laughs> um. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, the Suki Stackhouse series where she is a waitress mm -hmm. but um, it suddenly becomes a lot more interesting being a waitress when the vampires are out in society and her bar is now serving true blood which is the, the synthetic blood substitute um, which gets her into all sorts of trouble or you have someone who is a bartender but it turns out they're a bartender for the magical community in a little known uh, sort of magic frequented or mage frequented sort of bar which is yeah. underground so Annette Marie's uh, Guild Codex series for example one human absolutely no magic whatsoever suddenly realizes there's something very odd about all her clientele but she's a very good bartender yeah or you are uh, you work as a as a night guard at a museum and discover that everything comes to life at a certain time of night. I think I would not be staying a night guard at a museum very long on discovering <laughs> that, depending on the museum. Yes. What if it was a doll museum? I mean, come on. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> okay, um, our final example, but as Madeline said, there are many, many others. We've just tried to tap into some of the, the big ones that we, we know that most people share. But mm -hmm. new starts and success. So... The whole premise of Legends and Lattes, which I I basically read, and then I announced to Madeline that she should also read. In fact, she would also read, because I needed to discuss it with someone. Mm -hmm. um, is that Viv, who is an orc, wants to get away from being a mercenary. She's taken her last pay packet and intends to set up a coffee shop. Uh, this turns the quest narrative on its head, because her quest in this cosy fantasy is to find a version of herself she wants to be. Yeah. Of course, where she chooses to set up this coffee shop, no one has even heard of coffee, so she's got an uphill struggle. Yep. <laughs> um, it's a very low-stakes fantasy. That doesn't mean there's no conflict, it just means that the conflict is not the main point. But it does go into the intricacies of running a fantasy coffee shop and how you get over that, how you get customers in the door, how you get them to try the coffee in the first place, how you add baked goods to the menu. Um, and it's so charming that we just love watching her like work towards her success. Uh, it goes without saying that being able to make a new start and succeeding in your dream is a big wish fulfillment fantasy in real life. Yeah. Um, and I think that there is, you know, so many people, as we've said before, aren't particularly kind of thrilled with the idea of sort of working in services or, or going and doing this, that or the other. But there is, there is, I think, across the board, the sense of wish fulfillment of, ah, oh, I actually really, really love baking or I really, really love traveling um, or I really love writing. And 
the idea of actually here's the opportunity where you step away and you get to be your own boss or you get to actually do the thing that you really love and even though there are some difficulties or struggles with it uh, whereby not everything goes according to plan or you suddenly have to worry about money or you have to you know get staff or, or you're struggling to kind of get started there is this sense of but it's happening um, and I think that those are just very, very fulfilling stories. Um, and they can work very well in speculative fiction. Um, another one, um, which is a series that I watched ages ago, which I think is, is very good, um, is uh, it's called Kakuryu no Yodomeshi. Um, and it's basically like a uh, sort of the inn for demons i think is like the english translation and essentially the the main character it's a beauty and the beast sort of retelling where uh the girl gets pulled away into the demonic world uh, into the world of demons where the guy who who's kidnapped her basically runs this huge japanese style inn traditional inn and um, you know, he says your grandfather incurred a debt and he basically put you down as the repayment of that debt, so you've got to be my wife. And she said, No, but I tell you what, I will re I will work and repay the debt instead. And he went, Fine, okay. But she couldn't find any work inside of the inn. Um and so she sets up a tiny little restaurant just in the grounds of it instead where they serve kind of more snacky foods instead of the big grand cuisine thing and she's just really loves cooking and the whole way through you know there's these big steaks otherwise but it's it's her sort of like trying to get her restaurant going trying new recipes making friends and i'm just like i'm so invested <laughs> because yeah. i really like you just going out there you know doing your dream and actually sort of really enjoying what you're doing at the same time <laughs> Yeah, it, it's there's something very compelling about that. I mean, you're seeing a lot more of... It's definitely easier to find a through line for this sort of thing in sort of cosy mystery and cosy fantasy and even mm -hmm. cosy paranormal. Yeah. Um, but it absolutely turns up in other stuff as well. And weirdly, oh, yeah. having a more... Having a slightly more mundane dream even seems to work really well when, when juxtaposed against, like, a high fantasy setting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, it just it is really compelling um, and there's been this huge uptrend in stories which actually says actually a person goes to a different world it works in portal fantasy particularly where it's like there are all these epic things and then this person's like well actually I don't want to go off and be a warrior I just want to kind of be a merchant or I want to make pottery or I just really like cooking etc um, and it the mundanity is balanced with first of all the the magic of what's happening but also their joy and their struggle as they make it work because it is still fantasy because it is this still it's this massive wish fulfillment yeah even if you're not interested in that particular thing yourself yeah definitely so there is our list um as we said there are lots and lots more um and uh, i mean to be honest we could be here till the cows come home just talking about the sort of different forms of wish fulfillment and as we've said before everybody has different mileage there is no way of knowing exactly what you're you know what everybody's going to want but having an understanding of your audience 
and your your niche can really kind of help you get an idea of okay well actually what are some of the the big forms of wish fulfillment which are going to really really work with my story and with my audience um, and the best way to research that is to read and watch and engage with the kind of fiction that you want to be writing and yeah. also the kind of fiction that you are not writing because you might surprise yourself yeah definitely um i've got to ask jules if you had to sort of pick one on this list or not um what would you say is 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 one of your kind of your main form forms of sort of wish fulfillment that you see in 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 fiction oh that's really tricky um it's tricky just picking one um but obviously <laughs> the, the the amazing pets thing um leveling up definitely and the whole sort of uh, new start success thing yeah definitely um i love it when characters work towards something and achieve it again you know it doesn't even have to be against great odds but against some sort of odds that's that's a big big catnip one for me yeah i completely agree um and i i'm definitely sort of on the same with you i love the the fantastic pets um i particularly also love the recognition one yeah um you know and also just the um i've created something one um you know where someone's created something or been working on something and and they've kind of just never really allowed it to sort of blossom and then someone else goes no oh my god no this is really good yeah you, you know you're absolutely right to do this um i love it but also when it's like you've had a person who's who's been right the whole time who's been dismissed or who's been villainized and then at the end you're like oh they had a point <laughs> vindication <laughs> i mean one that we didn't mention and obviously we can't go into it now because we're finishing the episode but one yeah. that sort of gets me is someone who's always been about uh, been a bit of an outsider kind of finding a group of people that will appreciate them yeah absolutely the, the found family massive form of wish fulfillment um but we've talked about found found family a lot yes now uh, before we go it is time for our dissecting dragons recommendation of the week and jules i believe that you've got one for us yeah um this is a, i think it was a 2021 release but i only recently got to it um it's called the black tongue thief by christopher buhlman and it follows in a, a semi-humorous quite dark fantasy way um a main character called kinch Mm -hmm. And Kinch is, an, a, basically, he owes the Takers Guild a lot of money. He was kind of indentured to them as a child. And now he's, like, free to go off and be a thief by himself. But he has to keep paying what is effectively a subscription to pay off uh, whatever he... Basically, basically, Your 30-day free trial is over, which... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, now you owe us for your board and education basically all this time so he owes them a lot of money and he sort of gets the wind of the the idea of this um big job where if he sort of waits lies in wait and attacks this person who's traveling he might get enough money that he can pay off his indenture and then he can just go and his mark his tattoo will be removed yeah um except it doesn't go like that he no, tries to attack this woman who's basically like a paladin and she absolutely kicks his ass. 
Nice. Um, and instead of killing him, she kind of takes him prisoner and she's not sure what to do with him. And during the course of events, she finally goes, he, find, he helps her in a few struggles and things. And finally, he makes the proposal to her that he travels with her and, you know, he'll do X, Y and Z, that he's skilled at these specific things for her. He will help her on her mission mm -hmm. um, to pay off the debt that he now owes to her for not killing him. Right. <laughs> and it's a bit like Lies of Loch Lamora, where things start out bad and then they just progressively go worse. <laughs> Except Kinch is not isn't a depressive sort of person he's kind of like well that's bollocks up that then hasn't it but you've got to laugh you've got to see the funny side of it and he's mouthy and he's cheeky and he it's not that he runs away from a fight it's just he, if he thinks he's got more chance of survival by running away he'll run away um he acknowledges that he is not a battle-hardened warrior he will fight if he needs to kind of thing he's a yeah. sneak thief he's good at housebreaking he's good at cracking safes that sort of thing and they gradually pick up more and more people, so you end up with like this quest narrative, <laughs> um, and various other things happen. And it, while you can't ever say, yeah, he's a totally one hundred percent diamond in the rough good guy, he's also a very likable character. Okay. Um, it's it's a it's a really good book. It does have some moments of tragedy. It has a lot of moments of humour, and it's a very good audio book as well, um, because basically kinch being a black tongue the black tongues are supposed to have the blood of elves but they're clearly based on the irish <laughs> and i have to i have to say having read the book i'm like you're kind of on the money with a lot of what you're saying maybe not the blood of elves thing but the rest of it's like yeah actually because the whole being a black tongue is yeah you've got the gift of the gap and you're talking fast and you're still taking people in even though they know you're taking them in <laughs> like, i know you're conning me but you're doing it so well <laughs> you sound so good doing it oh dearie me um <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, I really enjoyed it. it. When I say dark fantasy, I mean it's dark in the sense of it's not noble light, but it's not it's not grim dark either. It's somewhere in between the two, and it, it's never so, you know, desperately sad or anything that you think, oh, God, I just want to do something else. I honestly think things like Lies of Loch Lamora and that get far more depressing than The Black Tongue Thief ever does. Okay. I will definitely have to check that out. You've, you've convinced me just by... <laughs> Just the way that you describe the protagonist. I'm like, yep, that's, I want that. Um, and on that note, guys, we'll say thanks very much for listening. Do get in touch with us. Let us know what some of your favourite wish fulfillment in fiction is and whether you agree or disagree with the ones that we've listed. And until next week, we'll say thanks and goodbye. Yeah, thank you. Bye. You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.